In the uh, book rack in front of you, there is a song sheet, and on one side of that is number 184, Lord, You Love the Cheerful Giver. We will use that for our song of thanksgiving this morning, singing verses 1 and 3 and 4, verses 1, 3, and 4 of Lord, You Love the Cheerful Giver. Let's stand together as we sing. This morning, God's Word comes to us from Acts chapter 13. Acts 13, we're going to read just the first 12 verses of this chapter. Acts 13, beginning at verse 1. What we hear now is God's word. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping, worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. 
Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salmas, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elamus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed. When he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, this morning is the second Sunday of our Mission Emphasis Week. Uh, we began actually a week ago Saturday uh, with the Food for Life distribution, able to provide food for over 70 uh, different households. Uh, last Sunday, uh, in uh, adult Sunday school and following the evening service, we heard from uh, Reverend Bernalis about his work going on and had him preach for us last Sunday. Uh, this past Wednesday night, uh, hearing firsthand about street evangelism from our, our brother uh, Anthony. Uh, today, the second Sunday of Mission Emphasis Week, the Evangelism Committee has asked if I would preach on foreign missions. Tonight, Reverend Squeers will preach on home missions. And of course, following our service this evening, uh, we have our prayer meeting. Uh, to pray for the work of missions. I thought this morning, uh, thinking about foreign missions, we would look at one of the greatest missionaries of all time. Look at the Apostle Paul. Uh, we're always uh, astonished by Paul, one who was a vehement opponent of the church, becomes by God's grace the greatest proponent of the church bringing the gospel message uh, all over the world. And so we're going to look at his ministry this morning, the beginning of his ministry, uh, that we might be able to pray more knowledgeably about missions. So this is the end of our mission emphasis week. This Sunday is the end. But I hope it's at the end of our uh, emphasis on missions, that we would continue to support missions throughout the year, both financially but also with our prayers how do we pray for the work of missionaries? And kids, I know some of you take notes in church. And so I want you to listen carefully this morning for things that you can pray for, for our missionaries. Things that we as a congregation can pray for, for the work of missions. We looked this morning at the beginning of Paul's missionary journey. 
And as we do so, we're reminded that while missions begins in the church, missions is the work of God. Verse 1, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, it lists them there, and while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The Holy Spirit set apart these men for the work of missions. Again in verse 4, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down and took their various travels. God himself is active in the mission of the church. God himself is the one who calls men into his service. Missions is not, first of all, a human activity, something that we do. We often talk about that. We send out missionaries. It is God's work. They are sent out by his commission. It was that way in Paul's time. It is that way in our time. As God continues to raise up men set apart for missions. Now, we read the Holy Spirit said to set them apart. We don't know exactly how that happened back then, but we know how the Holy Spirit does it today. Because the Holy Spirit has written down for us the qualifications of those who will be ministers, missionaries of the Word. We could go to Titus chapter 1. We could go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. The Holy Spirit has laid that down for us. So our prayer, our prayer is that hearts would be convicted and hear the call to ministry. Kids, our prayer is that God would raise up more missionaries. Whenever Benalis was asked last week Sunday morning in our Sunday school class, what is your first prayer request? The first thing he said, pray for more men. Pray for more missionaries. Pray that God would raise up more leaders to bring the word of the gospel. And so that's one thing we can pray for, that God would raise up more leaders, more men to be sent out to minister the gospel. Perhaps it's the case that you have thought about that. Perhaps you have considered whether or not God might be calling you into this type of ministry. Don't, uh, don't push off that call. Don't neglect that call. If the Holy Spirit is convicting you, uh, then consider how you might be used in the formal mission, the formal ministry of the church. Uh, they, are, they are set apart by the Holy Spirit, but they are recognized by the congregation. Then after fasting and prayer, they laid their hands on them. They, they recognized them as those who were called and sent out. Um, whenever we talk about the calling of a, of a man to ministry, uh, we talk about both the internal call and the external call. Uh, certainly someone might feel uh, called in their heart to the work of missions. Um, but that internal call must be confirmed by the external call from the church. Or as we sometimes tell seminarians, you're not called until you are called by a congregation. We might sense that desire, but God then equips us and he uses churches to do that, to help in equipping those set apart for missions. So we can pray for that, that churches would, would come alongside those 
who feel that burden, who feel that call, that churches might encourage them in their preparation and surround them and then send them off with the blessing of the church, the support of the church, both with our prayers and with our finances, that the church might continue to send out missionaries for the gospel. They are commissioned by God. And notice we have here uh, five men listed, Barnabas and Simeon and Lucius, uh, Manan and, uh, and Saul. And they sent two of those five away. That had to take a toll on the local church. It wasn't necessarily easy for them to lose these two leaders. But both Barnabas and Saul, now called Paul, would be sent away. The leaders of the church sent out. I sometimes easy, I think it's easy for us to think that, 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 that missions is almost something of a secondary calling. Uh, that, that, you know, if you can't get a call to a church in the U.S. or Canada, well, you can always be a missionary someplace else. Uh, I, I've heard that expressed even at the, uh, at the classical level, as men are being examined for the ministry. I've heard uh, people say, well, well, we wouldn't want him in our pulpit, but he's only going to be a missionary. We must never think of missions as some sort of second-class service to the Lord. They sent Barnabas and Paul. They sent their best, their most qualified not the leftovers. We have to value missionaries and value what they do, which is why I'm so thankful on Mission Emphasis Week. We bring men here and we get to know them and we get to hear about what they're doing, that we might value them and pray for their ministry more knowledgeably, having a first-hand information. Pray that God would raise up the best the brightest with a passion for missions to be sent off by the church to do this work of the Lord. That's what happened with Barnabas and Paul. They were sent out. We read of their travels. They went down to Seleucia, and then they go to the island of Cyprus, and they make their way across the island of Cyprus. And it's, it's uh, when they finally get across the island that we have, we have a, uh, a conflict that is set up for us. A conflict in the mission. Verse 6. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus. And so we have two new people introduced to the story. Uh, Barnabas and Paul sent off. And as they do their mission, they encounter these two people. They encounter Bar-Jesus and they encounter Sergius Paulus. And there are some who suggest that what we see here in Acts 13 is a contrast between Bar-Jesus and Sergius Paulus. Bar-Jesus, one who would be blinded because of his disobedience, and Sergius Paulus, one who would become a believer. I don't believe the intent here is to make a contrast between Bar-Jesus and Sergius Paulus. The intent is to show us the contrast between Bar-Jesus, the false prophet, 
and Paul, the true prophet. The difference between the false word that is given and the true word that is given. Who is this Bar-Jesus, this false prophet? We don't know much about him. His name, Bar-Jesus, simply means son of Jesus. Now, kids, this is not the Jesus we know. This is not the Jesus from Christmas time. Jesus was a fairly common name. And as we talked about before, with the name Jesus, very likely, since this is a, 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 a Hebrew type of title, uh, his name was actually Bar-Joshua, Bar-Joshua, which means son of salvation. This false prophet... This false teacher was called son of salvation. To, to, to indicate if you would listen to him, if you would hear what he had to say, you might find the way unto salvation. But he was a false prophet. He was a false teacher. And we know that, that, that God had given us ways of determining if someone was a true or a false prophet. All the way back in the Old Testament, back in Deuteronomy chapter 13, we read this. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. He says, but that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. What they are saying is that when, when a man comes with a message, it must be tested against the word of God that we know, against the truth that we know. And Bar-Jesus was coming and bringing a false message. He was not declaring the truth. Even though he was named Son of Salvation, listen to me and you'll be saved, he was not bringing the word of the Lord. And so he is trying to persuade Sergius Paulus. He is trying to turn him aside from the gospel. Verse 8, then Elimas, that's the false prophet, the magician, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. The proconsul had summoned Barnabas and Saul. He wanted to hear the gospel. And Bar Jesus tries to turn him away, turn him aside, lead him in another way, not the way of the true prophet, not the way of salvation. We see uh, uh, the contrast set up in this text by the descriptions of Bar-Jesus and the words of the Apostle Paul. Bar-Jesus, his name means son of salvation. What does Paul call him? Verse 10, Paul calls him, you son of the devil. That's the contrast. He sees himself a son of salvation. Paul says, no, you're not a son of salvation. You are son of the devil. Paul is described in verse 9 as one who is full of the Spirit. Verse 9, and Paul, who was called, uh, Saul called Paul, filled with the Spirit, called by the Holy Spirit. How is, how is Bar-Jesus described? Verse 10, full of all deceit and villainy. This is the contrast being set up for us. This is the opposition, the true prophet and the false prophet. Again, verse 8, he is trying to turn the pro-council away from the faith. 
And in verse 10, Paul says, will you stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Or will you stop turning people away? Rather than being son of salvation, bringing them toward God, you are turning them away from God. You claim to speak for God, and yet you speak falsely. The one who truly speaks for God, the Apostle Paul, who brings the word of the gospel. The word of God itself was what was at stake. The truth of that word. And that is still what is at stake today in the mission of the church. The truth, the reliability of the word of God. Those who would claim to speak for God, those who might even give us signs and wonders, if their word does not fit with the revelation that we know, it does not come from God. His word is true. His word is faithful. His word is reliable. And anything we hear has to be tested against that holy word. There are many who would twist, who would turn the word of God away from salvation, who would make it say something completely different rather than giving us the message of God's work in His Son, Jesus Christ. We can pray about this conflict. We can pray that God's Word might be seen as absolutely trustworthy. Kids, you can pray for that. That those whom the missionaries talk to see the truth of the Word of God. Because that will lead them to know and to confess Jesus Christ and to know that He is the only one who brings salvation. There is this conflict going on, a conflict on the mission field, a conflict locally as well. And, and in this conflict here in, uh, in chapter 13, we see Paul come with a powerful, powerful word of judgment. Verse 10, he said, You son of the devil... You enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? That's harsh language. Son of, son of the devil, full of deceit and villainy. He goes on, verse 11, And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. Paul was speaking for God. Paul is not simply upset about what this guy is saying, but Paul speaks on behalf of God. The hand of God is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. How ironic that Paul would pronounce this judgment. You will be blind, unable to see the sun. That's just what happened to Paul. Paul, when he opposed the church, was blind, unable to see the sun, until God would open his eyes. So even though this, this, uh, this comes as a harsh judgment, look what happens. Paul says, you'll be able to see the sun, and immediately mist and darkness fell upon him. The word of the true prophet immediately came to pass, as evidence, the word from his mouth was true. When a prophet says this is going to happen, and it happens, and he directs you toward the Lord, you can be sure. Paul comes with this harsh word. You'll be blind and able to see. But even in this harsh word, there is still a word of mercy 
What does he say? You'll be unable to see the sun for a time. He doesn't say this will be your state for the rest of your life. But for a time, you'll be unable to see. Again, calling back Paul's own conversion. For a time, he was unable to see until he was brought to recognize Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. There is a latent word of hope, even for this one, even for Bar-Jesus, that if he would turn, if he would repent, if he would embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior, he too would truly have his eyes opened and be able to see. And and as that word is powerfully proclaimed, look what happens to the proconsul. The proconsul wanted to hear from Barnabas and Paul. Verse 12. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And I I love how how, uh, this is recorded for us by Luke. It's not quite as clear in English. Uh, The proconsul believed he had seen what took place. He saw what happened, but he believed because he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. It was the power of the Word that converted him. It was not, first of all, that he saw someone struck blind. It was the power of the Word that would change his heart. The power of the Word today is still that which changes hearts and lives. We can pray for that, for our missionaries, that they would not lose confidence in the Word of God. It is the power of God for salvation. One of the things I appreciated so much about Wednesday evening, uh, I was not able to be there, but I saw a recording of it later, is the reminder that it is not our testimony which brings people to Christ. It is the Word of God. The Word of Christ Himself. That's where our confidence is. Not in my subjective experience, but in the objective truth that God the Father sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to save sinners. That is the power to change a heart. That is the power to change a life. And that is the same call that goes out this morning. If you are here and have not bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, if you have not recognized Him as the King and Lord of your life, God Himself calls you this morning. Embrace this Jesus. Embrace this powerful one. Hear the word of the Lord. And don't be blinded, but have your eyes opened. Opened unto the glories of salvation, opened under the truth of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. Our confidence is in the word of God and the promises God gives us there that for everyone who confesses him, God will grant eternal, ongoing, everlasting life. That's the declaration of the gospel today. We might pray that that gospel message Simple, yet powerful, be declared again and again and again, both at home and on the mission field. We come today to the end of Mission Emphasis Week, but not the end. We will continue to support 
missionaries financially. We will continue to support them with our prayers, praying that God would raise up men qualified and sent by the church into the mission field, praying that, that the opposition of false prophets, the opposition of Satan himself, would be thwarted by the power of the Word, and pray that the Word, our confidence remain in the Word of God. It is the power of God for salvation for all who will believe. It is the power on the mission field. It is the power in our congregation. It is the power of God to draw all of His people to Himself. We will continue to emphasize mission in our giving, in our prayers, that this glorious mission of God might continue until all his people are brought in. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we praise you for the mission of the church, a mission to reconcile lost sinners to you, a holy God. And we praise you that in your goodness you have given us the gift of faith whereby we might embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior. We pray, O oh God, for the ongoing work of the mission of your church. We pray that you would raise up those who are called, who are qualified, the best and the brightest to go out and to share the glorious message of Jesus Christ. We pray that any opposition to that message, any false word out there might be brought down to nothing, might be seen for what it is, a false gospel. We pray, O oh God, that your word and the true gospel might be declared through all the nations that you might receive glory and honor and praise as each one of your people is brought in to your church. It is, it is your mission, O oh God, and yet you call us to be faithful stewards of that mission in the gifts and the prayers that we bring. Hear us for the sake of Jesus Christ. Amen.